difficult to understand and relate to for a number of reasons. Paul talks here to people who are bond servants, doulos, those who are either slaves because they're in debt or slaves because they've chosen to remain as slaves after they've paid off their debt. And slavery is something that is, of course, an abhorrent uh, image for our thinking especially. In those days, most of the people who were employees were technically slaves. Um, generally, they were treated pretty well, um, not, not mistreated in the way that we sometimes associate. But basically, we kind of think we're beyond that. But in reality, how many of us aren't in debt? How many of us aren't working because we have to in order to survive? Um, but often when we come to passages of Scripture about servants and about slavery, it's disturbing that the writers of Scripture, in this case Paul, don't speak out against the evils of slavery. It's, this is a struggle as to why he wouldn't say, if you're a servant, you need to rebel and bring about an end to slavery. The government was very oppressive in those days there in Rome, and it's also disturbing why Paul or Jesus never spoke out against the government, never, never suggested that the government ought to be overthrown. It was actually one of the reasons why Jesus was ultimately crucified, because people looked at him as the perfect revolutionary who could overthrow that Roman government. And when he failed to do that, when he said, my kingdom is not of this world, when he taught <coughs> submission to Rome, when, when he taught to give to Caesar those things that are Caesar's, those people who were desiring a revolution, and rightfully so, were really tripped up and stumbled and then ultimately deserted him. The Apostle Paul, as he taught, as we saw when we were in the book of Romans, to submit yourself to the government, and even more so, to claim that the leaders who were in government are there by God's will and that we're to submit to them, that's shocking when you consider the the head of the government was a man like Nero, who was an evil, despotic ruler, worse than any, uh, believe it or not, any, any ruler that we've seen during our lifetimes. And you sometimes wonder, especially coming from an American perspective whereby we so have glorified revolution, where every year we celebrate the American Revolution when we took it to the Brits and founded our own country, it's difficult to understand why Scripture wouldn't rally to those kinds of causes because Scripture certainly is all about doing things right and, and it teaches the importance and the beauty of freedom, those same values that so often accompany revolution. But when it comes to what the Scripture has to say in general, um, it almost seems counter-revolutionary. It's almost the idea of just give in to whoever is the leader and don't fight against it, don't try to swim upstream. And so it's difficult for people to come up with a biblical um, value concerning revolution and revolt in conjunction with what that which inside us tells us, and that is these are evil people who are in control, and, and something needs to be done about it. And so you don't find a lot of help or support often from Scripture. And here in this passage, we can begin to see 
perhaps why. Now, if God has called you to overthrow the government or whatever, you do what God shows you to do. But Paul never felt that call, nor did Jesus. And, and here we begin to see perhaps why. They had a higher agenda. They had a greater purpose in life. So he says, verse 1, chapter 6, 1 Timothy, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved, teach and exhort these things. So he says you have yokes, connections, mandatory obligations to others. Some of those are yokes to believers. Some of those are yokes to non-believers and even to evil people. But regardless of which they are, if you find yourself in a, in a relationship of servitude, give honor to those who are, in a sense, ruling over you or having influence over you because otherwise the name of God and his doctrine will be blasphemed. You know, fighting against that which is restricting you is a human reaction. In reality, though, most of the time when you fight against a yoke, you're going to lose. Be frustrated, damaged in the process, and ultimately, you'll, you'll become a martyr, perhaps senselessly. But the idea that Paul is conveying here is we have a message to bring that's more important than any yoke that you might suffer under. And if that message is damaged by revolting against the yoke, then you've defeated the very thing that has the power to deliver, to bring ultimate deliverance from the yoke. Now, you might say, well, I mean, I'm not under yoke today. Well, Think about it a little bit. Actually, there are a lot of yokes, there are a lot of connections that you're sort of stuck with. If you're employed, then you're connected to whoever it is that you work for. Now, you could certainly get out of that yoke, and a servant in those days could very easily run away. But the reason they were serving as a servant is because that seemed like the best option they had. So to stay there was better than to live on the run. And so they would stay and they would be connected. And that may be the way you feel about your job. It's a yoke. I'm a slave. But it's the best choice I have. It's better than quitting. Now, if you are a boss, you may feel yoked to your employees. You may feel like, or your customers. You may feel like, man, I, I'm the boss, and yet I have to please them. I have to do what works for them. And I wish I could just say, forget this job, and walk away, but really it's the best option that I have at this point. But other people, it's not employment that yokes you. It might be school. And you have to jump through the hoops that are necessary in order to finish your schooling so that then you can have the yoke that you choose in the job that you're going to seek. For others, family may be that yoke. If you're a child... 
you don't have the option of being independent. And sometimes your parents will want you to do things that you don't want to do, but there's that connection. The question is, what are your options? What are your choices? Many parents feel yoked to their children. All of a sudden, you have kids and your freedom is gone for the, the unforeseeable future. You know, it's just like, wow, I, I can't do what I want to do because I've got these kids dragging along with me. For some people, marriage feels like a yoke. It's, man, I committed to this person and here we are and sometimes it's great, but sometimes it just feels like the only reason I'm in this is because I don't have a good way out. If God didn't tell me I had to stay with this person, I'd be gone. If it was easier to leave, I'd feel like doing it. And though over the course of your life, you come to the point where you're gratified that you stuck with that yoke, yet, and, and when you cast off yokes, often you buy into something much worse, yet when you're in the middle of it sometimes, it feels like a trap, it feels like a weight, it feels like a yoke. For some of you, your relatives, even some of your friends become people that you're yoked to. Every once in a while, you change your phone number just so that you can get unyoked for a while <laughs> from these people who just seem to be draining you and a, a burden on you. In this life, you can't es escape yokes. You can't escape obligations. You can't escape connections. And to leave those connections often makes for even greater connections. And so most of us can relate to one degree or another, to the person who finds themselves in a relationship that feels like a yoke. But what would happen if you rebelled against all of those yokes? Would it bring about real freedom? Would it create even greater problems and obligations for you? And I would suggest, as I think Paul does here, remember what your calling is. Remember that we are here to become those who, as we're following Jesus Christ, we are able to share his gospel. We are able to represent him in a way that people see us and their heart is touched by the possibility that they too could have a relationship with the Lord. And he says, to have a rebellious attitude over those who are in that relationship of, of interdependence with you would cause, as he says, the name of God and his doctrine to be blasphemed. Often, you know, the, those who don't know Christ, but who are in relationships with us, even people who are within government, it's so important that they see the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of the good news of the gospel. And sometimes if what we are doing is constantly fighting against them, and what they see as Christianity is those rebels who are never satisfied, those ones who are always rocking the boat, those who distance themselves from any sort of involvement in civic life, in political life, in any other way, or they only operate as a block, they look at Christianity as being a thorn in their side as being a problem. See, our task is to hold our light on a hill so that people would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's what it's all about. Ultimately, the gospel is all that can really change people. So standing up and radically 
taking a stand and overthrowing everything in order to then usher in some better way of life is not the way that God chooses to do it, never has. Oh, we rejoice when evil leaders are overthrown. Um, I, it was a, a glorious day, I think, when the, when the Iron Curtain fell, when the wall was pushed over, and we all remember you know, Reagan and making those great statements of tear down this wall and then the wall literally being broken down and, and thinking, wow, now this ushers in a whole new era in, in Europe in particular and in parts of Asia. But what was substituted for communism ultimately and what happened to the communists? Well, in so many ways, some of the most hard-nosed communists were able to get elected to office, <laughs> They have elections and these guys win. And so you have like a man in Russia who, who is the leader of that country who is one of the more hardcore communist despotic rulers ever. And we think, well, what was the revolution all about? And then we see, oh, there's great freedom. And so like never before, the spread of pornography and the spread of prostitution and corrupt economics that have ensued have caused a lot of people to become completely disenchanted with what they thought was freedom, but they thought shedding the, the control of certain evil institutions would automatically bring about a better way of life. And all it really did in so many cases was shuffle the deck. The Church of Jesus Christ experiencing more freedoms, but in some ways having less vitality. Oh, now you can go to church if you want, but people don't want to the way they did when they were being persecuted even. It's really strange. God has interesting ways of getting his work done, and it's not always as easy of a fix as what we would think. Now, as we read on here in these verses, I think we begin to get some insight into why we should take as our first position to honor those yokes in our lives. Whether or not it's evil political leaders, which we have plenty of, whether it's, whether it's people in our lives who are bugging us, whether it's those people we work for, our teachers, or whoever it is, our churches, before we just jump to the conclusion that I need to rid myself of this connection, let's have a look at what Paul says was the result of, of not honoring those connections and not appreciating those trials being in our lives. Well, he says, first of all, teach and exhort these things. If anyone, verse 3, teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, he says, this is healthy. And if you teach against this, you're teaching against even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine that accords with godliness. To go against this is to go against godliness. And if you do that, he is proud. He knows nothing. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. According to Paul, 
to shed yourself of unwanted yokes, to rid yourself of those connections that seem to be strangling you and choking you and restricting you, you may be running the risk of missing the purpose as to why God brought those yokes into your life in the first place. And so we first of all want to see, okay, God, what purpose might you have in putting me into this type of a relationship? Why did you give me the spouse you gave me? Why have you made my kids so difficult? Why, is, why am I working in a job where my boss is such a jerk? Why am I in a country that has people like this as leaders? And I go, wait a minute. If to rebel against that is to be proud, (laughs) interesting. Did you ever think that perhaps God allowed yokes in your life to break you of your pride? Because it does that very well. And God knows how best to do that. And our pride is what is destroying us more than anything else. Your pride will destroy you quicker than any evil leader ever will. Your pride will destroy you more than any boss, any difficult job, any economic oppression, or anything else. Your pride is your greatest enemy. And so, what if God chooses to use yokes to break you of your pride? But he says further, you don't know anything. What if yokes are in your life so that you can learn from them, so that you can gain insight, you can benefit from them? You know there are many people who've been in your life in the past who felt like a yoke, and yet in retrospect, you realize how much you learned from dealing with that relationship or that difficulty. Always when you're in the middle of a situation, for instance, in school, the teacher that you like is the teacher who is the easiest. The teacher who you can't stand because they're so hard-nosed and so unreasonable, because they're so difficult, often when you finish that class, when you graduate, you look back and say, boy, did I learn from that. Boy, was that enlightening. You almost never learn much from teachers who are easy. You learn from teachers who are difficult. The, the military forces understand this. And so when they, began to, they begin to train soldiers or sailors or Marines and, or, or Air Force members, they, they first break them down with unreasonable treatment. They treat you like you're nothing. They treat you like dirt. They put a yoke on you that just seems completely oppressive but all the things you learn from going through that experience. A good coach is that way. It seems ridiculous for someone to treat grown men and grown women the way an effective coach will tend to treat them. They will yoke you. And yet the most successful coaches are the ones who do that, and later you realize it broke me down so that I could be built up. It it damaged me so that I could become stronger And oh, do I learn from those yokes. Again, he says, if you resist this, you'll become obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. 
And boy, how, that, how easily that happens. To devote your whole life, it starts out by you saying, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and you become this effective critic that can point out what's wrong in everyone that you see. And then you become obsessed with that. I, there's no area where I see this happening more than in the political realm, where people who start out motivated by righteousness, who start out just saying, there's something wrong here. And believe me, if you can look at the political scene today and not see that there's something horrible and corrupt going on, if you don't look and see that this is just awful, what our, what our leaders are doing on a daily basis, then um, I don't know what, what you're seeing. You're missing something. It is awful. But as soon as you begin to put your focus on that, Isn't it amazing? You all have friends who do this. Maybe some of you have done it. I have. You become obsessed. You're always arguing. Then you become paranoid, as he says later. You're seeing this everywhere, this great conspiracy. You're starting to wonder, did we really land on the moon? You know, you start out by going, you start out by saying, you know, I don't know, is our president really born in the United States? Where's his birth certificate? I think he's a Muslim. And then you end up thinking that we are the ones who, who pulled off 9-11, that our government ends up crashing jets. Into, and there's no end to this kind of paranoia. And I'm sorry if you're someone who believes that. Um, but <laughs> it's cute. But see, look what happens when you don't say... There are things in my life that I can't control. Or for me to control them would be more trouble than it's worth. And I have a race to run. And I have a message to share. And I worship a God who someday will fix all of this. He'll sort it all out. And so I'm not going to spend my life trying to fix it, trying to sort it out, trying to wear myself out. The yokes that are on me, I'm going to assume, boy, maybe God put these here for a reason. And maybe it was to make me the person that he wants me to be. And it might be that if I fight against these yokes, I may become worse than that which I'm fighting against. I may myself personally deteriorate by losing my focus and taking it away. And then I, then I make God look bad. And then I end up even turning on my brothers and sisters, you know, as he talked in verse 2 about, man, if you have a, a Christian who is a part of your yoke, We all benefit if you honor them. But in verse 1, even if they're a non-Christian, honor those who you are yoked to. Be a blessing in the lives of everyone you're connected with so that people can see the, the reality of the gospel. They can see the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, and it's not to say that you're not right. It's not to say that if you're going to speak up against wrong, hey, you've got the right position. Hey, more power to you. I will probably agree with you on all of those things in which you are revolting and rebelling. But the question, biblically, is always a practical one. Where's that going to get you? How's that working for you? Is that really going to bring about what, what God wants to do in your life? Or are you going to become obsessed Are you going to spend your life arguing and strife and reviling, wrangling with people of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth? And ultimately, as he says in verse 5, it all comes down to this. You can be a rebel, but you'll be a rebel because you think that godliness is gain. 
You think that the whole idea of godliness is to get ahead, to have more, to be better, to feel better, to lead the pack, to be on top of the stack. If somehow you get the idea that godliness and gain, godliness and profit, godliness and winning are equivalent, you don't understand Christianity. See, the whole message of the gospel is that God sent his son into this world, and though he had the power to destroy this world, though he had the capacity to easily take over politically, yet he subjected himself, and he poured himself out, and he offered himself, and the greatest victory in the history of mankind happened on the day when Jesus Christ lost. He lost so that we would win. He allowed himself to be sacrificed because the quickest way to ultimate victory was for him to take it all. And he calls us to share in that suffering. He doesn't call us to stand up, rise up, revolt, and fix what's wrong in the world. He says, the day will come when I return and I will do just that. But right now, your job is to go with the flow. Your job is to give in. Your job is to make sacrifices. Your job is to honor the yokes that are involved in your life because what I will do through that is more powerful than anything you will do by your power, by your influence, by your grabbing it and taking control of it. If you do that, you just escalate the level of combat. You will not experience victory that way. And I'm telling you, this is true in your life. You can fight against everything that is difficult in your life. And if you want, you can continue to rip yourself free of every yoke. There are people who have done this their entire lives. They can't handle living in a family, so they desert the family. The marriage isn't working, so they leave the marriage. The job is bad, the boss is a jerk, and so they leave that job and the next job and the next one. And they try to withdraw from society and they try to, they end up living in some little cabin somewhere plotting as to how they're going to bring this whole thing down. And is that life? Is that really the way that you want to work? Finally cut loose from all of those shackles and recognizing that actually had you stayed, had you submitted, had you honored the shackles and those who controlled them, that perhaps that would have been your opportunity for God to win the way he wins by losing, by sacrifice, by coming and denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus Christ. That is the message that will set everyone free. And that is the message that our plane for power will obliterate and destroy. And this is why you become frustrated when you look in the scriptures and try to find great support for let's rise up and let's overthrow and let's... That's not what he says. That's not how Jesus did things. If you want to find that kind of support, you're usually going to end up quoting out of context Old Testament references in a whole different time when God was working in a whole different way, you're not going to find Jesus leading the way as you march toward victory. You're going to find Jesus nailed to a cross.
and telling you, don't expect to be treated better than I was. Servant isn't greater than his master. And you see the message from God's word that says, consider this. It could be that those yokes in your life are there for your good. It could be that the most difficult and challenging and restrictive relationships that you are involved in are there to break you of your pride, are there to give you an opportunity to embody and exemplify gospel truth. Consider that. Now, believe me, we are very capable of taking on a lot of yokes that God never put on us. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. So I'm not suggesting that you should stay in every obligation that you have. Hey, if your job is that bad, maybe you should quit it. You need to listen to God and do what he tells you to do. If your friends are that much of a drain on you, maybe you should change your phone number and not give them so much time to drag you down, all right? But all I'm saying is, it's always going to be something. And there's always going to be a yoke. And if you are in a situation where you are yoked because it seems like the alternative is just worse than remaining in the yoke, then consider that there may be a divine purpose behind that yoke. Otherwise, believing that somehow godliness is getting ahead, the problem with getting ahead is you'll never get ahead. There's always somebody chasing you. There's always someone overtaking you. There's always a bigger pile. There's always someone tunneling underneath you to take away what you have. And any kind of gain that this world provides for us will always lead us just more vulnerable. Ultimately, and we're going to see it next week as we continue in this passage, his alternative is not the alternative of godliness is gain and let's go win this thing. For Christ, the real deliverance that comes from Jesus Christ is a contentment, is learning to be satisfied where you are, is getting off that treadmill and stop fighting that fight and stop trying to equate godliness and gain, but realizing godliness with contentment, as he goes on to say, that's game. (coughs) I want to encourage you to look at your life and see what it is that's that feels like a yoke in your life? What is it that's pulling you down, that's troubling you? And then to ask you, could it be that God has allowed that in your life for a reason? That maybe he hasn't changed your life, maybe he hasn't changed your job, maybe he hasn't changed your family, maybe he hasn't changed your living situation because he wants to bring good into your life by teaching you what he can only teach you while you're under this yoke? Isn't it possible that what he's trying to do is to break you of the one thing that will destroy you, and that's your pride? Consider that. And then begin to thank him for those yokes. And begin to honor those yokes for what they do in your life, for the opportunities that they offer you. Hey, if they are unrighteous and ungodly, God will deal with them. That'll happen. But don't you take it upon yourself to do that because you will not win. And you'll find out that you've destroyed yourself in the process of destroying others. That you've cut yourself free of all the yokes by chewing off your own arms and legs. 
And there you are flopping around on the ground and going, boy, I'm so free. Let him work in your life. Give him permission to do what he wants to do through whoever he brings in your life. And thank God for those trials. And thank God for those difficulties. And thank God for those yokey people who are just weighing you down. Because they may be exactly what God wants to use to bring blessing into your life and cause the gospel to increase, to give you a chance to show what God's people do, what Jesus' people do when they want to nail you to a cross. What Jesus did didn't utter a word of protest, didn't fight back. He submitted to that ungodly action that would be our deliverance. You can't fix it. You can't fix what's wrong with this world. So don't wear yourself out trying. Submit to a God who loves you and use every every opportunity you can to represent him well, to represent him as, as he represented himself. And I know that's not popular, and I know that's difficult. And I understand that if I got up here and called you to revolution, that would be much more inspiring. But this works. This is reality. And to deny this is to be foolish and to go against what Jesus Christ teaches, according to Paul. Next week, we'll get into a more positive aspect of it and how we can learn to deal with the yokes and and to be content. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It tells us what we don't want to hear but it tells us what we need to know. And we're grateful for your loving surgery. God, you're good. Your plan looks crazy, but it does work. We've seen it work in our lives when we've gone along with your program. So help us to grow in this. God, I pray that you would cause the yokes on us to feel less heavy as we realize that we are carrying these yokes for you, may they feel easy and light because you are going with us. You're carrying our cross with us. And one day you will fix it all. We thank you. Thanks for the practicality of your word too. We, we can do things that make sense to us that ruin our lives. Help. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.